another professor standing in front of the room and he has a glass and first he puts the big rocks in there and he says, can you put anything else? And everybody says, no. And then he puts pebbles in it. Can you put anything else? No. Then he puts sand and he puts water. And the concept there is, which I, I strongly believe in, is you need to identify first what those big rocks are in your life. And what I love about you and your podcast that you have here and what you just talked about is that at different points in time in your life, those rocks are going to be different things. And that's okay. And that's actually amazing. Deep Balancer. I know you're a determined person on the lookout for ways to live a more fulfilling and balanced life, but you're busy. And if we're being honest, that busyness often comes at the expense of your priorities. The Balance Theory podcast is made to teach busy bees just like you how to find and own your own definition of balance so that you can become unapologetic in how you choose to spend your time. I'm your host, Erica, and together let's find your unique balance. All right, Balancers, today's guest is the co-founder of May Wines, the co-founder of New Money Ventures, and she also currently teaches at UCLA's Anderson School of Management, where she has been a lecturer for over nine years. She's also the creator behind Plush Money Impact, which is a college program designed to help women refine business acumen and knowledges. Balancers, a very warm welcome today to Neha Kumar, who I'm so, so excited to have a chat with. Neha, a warm welcome to the Balance Series. Such an honor to have you on today. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. <laughs> Likewise. Now we were chatting a little bit off air and we we're getting really, really deep into the conversation before I even had a chance to hit record. So I'm glad we're finally here and we can start to get to know you a little bit better and share your story and insights with the balances today. Um, but before we dive in actually, and before I even get you to explain a little bit about what you're currently doing, I wanted to ask you something, cause I think this is so, so interesting. I saw that you're currently doing your sommelier training. And I'm just dying to know what that involves because every time I meet one, I'm at a restaurant where they have one, I just think about how did they get from just, you know, enjoying or loving or having a great, you know, taste or passion for wine to being like a wine expert. What does that training involve? No, absolutely. And it's been a, an interesting journey, I can say. You know, I actually used to work at a direct-to-consumer wine company before, and I was there for, for a few years. And while I was there, I noticed that I was going out and I was talking to a lot of our clients that we were working with on the, the B2B side. And one of the things, no matter how much I studied and I really got into the notes and everything else, um, one of the things I noticed for me that was missing was a certain level of enjoyment and confidence when I was speaking to a lot of our partners. And so I started to study. I took the exam. There's three parts to the exam through WSET. And I took one and then I took two. And so I now have left the third one to do. But it was a, a really interesting process of going through it. And in life, I think a lot of times people think that we have a big plan and a vision, and that's how we go about doing it. But sometimes in life, when you're out there, things just happen and it's and fun <laughs> and it's exciting. Yeah, they do. And you just roll with it. And so this was one of those things for me where there was another colleague I was working with at the time. And he said, he was a winemaker and he hadn't taken it. And he said, you know what, let's get certified. Let's do it together. 
we went to class, we did level one and it was fun, right? Understanding the process of the grapes and the harvest, everything that goes into it, all the little nuances. And then you really start to learn why for a lot of people, wine truly is a passion, And then I had the opportunity to visit a lot of our wine partners abroad, especially in Italy, and going out there, seeing how they go through everything, how they manage the grapes. It was really, really nice. And one of the things that I love, love about wine is wine is alive. It's breathing. And that's why you open it, you let it air, you let it breathe, but it's a living item. And it evolves over time. And there's something magical about that, which makes it a lot of fun. That's awesome. You've just uh, romanticized wine so much for us all just then. (laughs) I I feel like cracking open a a bottle. I'm actually in Italy as we speak, so I may need to get some recommendations from you. But I just thought that was so interesting. And I probably should have prefaced that with your work is in the realm of wine and and we'll kind of go into a little bit about the companies you're involved in. So it's sort of like a little offshoot to what you're working in now. Um, but what I really love about that is this element that you're allowing yourself to not only have that aspect of fun, but also an element of curiosity. And I think as we grow up and, you know, as kids, they're so curious, always asking, but how, but why, but what? And as we grow up, we just sort of take all of that for granted, accept things as they are, don't really ask too many questions, and we lose that curious side to ourselves. So I think um, it's just a really nice reminder for everybody listening that, you know, even if it's not necessarily related to your work or to your job, it's obviously a bonus if it is, but if there's something you're just curious about, it's such a nice thing to just go with the flow and experience it. So um, I'm really grateful you just shared that. And I thought that was so interesting because it's such a unique niche sort of skill to have, I suppose. You'd be a good person to also be out to dinner with and to hand the wine list to. (laughs) Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, and here's the thing I just want to point out too, is that whatever your job is, whatever it is that you're doing, you can find the fun in it. Hmm. Erica, I wasn't a wine person. I fell into working at a wine company years ago. I'm a wine person now, but years ago, (laughs) I wanted to work at a direct-to-consumer company and I wanted to really get fully immersed on the product side. And that was something that was very important to me and that I wanted to have, you know, on my resume, essentially, for, for the things that I've done and things that I'm good at doing is working at a direct to consumer wine company on the operation a direct to consumer company on the operation side it happened to be wine but you can find the fun and if you can't find the fun you can create the fun mm. and it was very very hard we were a high growth startup there were so many moving pieces at the time there always are at startups right but there were so many different moving pieces at the time and so one of my colleagues and I said, you know what, let's, let's do this. And him and I would go after work, we'd go over not too far away from our office and we would do this class and it was fun. And then it made going to work more fun because we're looking at all, the, all the different varietals and we were looking at what different markets, what's going to sell in more. Because when you're trying to scale a company, you really want to be looking at those types of things. And so it was it made it very, very fun. 
I can definitely imagine. That's awesome. And so let's um let's peel it back a couple years. Talk to me about after school. Where did you see yourself? I know you said you wanted to work for a direct-to-consumer company, but what did you study and what career, I suppose, at the time did you envision yourself having? Life is so interesting, right? So I went to undergrad. I was at UCLA. I was a, um, a econ major. And then I went to USC for grad school, went to the other side of town, and I was emphasizing in finance and I got my MBA. I worked in banking after that. When I was in banking, I had the opportunity to work with a lot of very, very high growth companies that were looking to do an IPO or looking to get acquired. And I had the opportunity to meet a lot of great founders and great CFOs and presidents of these companies and CEOs. And I saw a lot of things that they were doing. And I thought I could do that too. I was young, right? I ended up leaving banking and then I joined the startup space. And I worked in the startup space on my own for just about just under two years, actually. And it was, uh, some people get you know, a slice of humble pie. <laughs> I, I had the whole humble pie in my face. <laughs> Working in the startup space and starting something from the ground up is very, very hard. It is very difficult. And so at that point in time, I realized what I'm good at doing is I have a structured background and I'm good with the ambiguity, uncertainty that comes with the startup space. So what I could do is take both of those, put those together I can help existing startups scale and grow. Now, did I have some big vision or plan of how this is going to all work? No. I just went out there and I did things. And the one big thing that I've learned in life is you can either be in action or not in action. That's it. It's very simple. You're either in action or you're not in action. And if you choose to not be in action, that's okay. That's a choice. You're choosing to not take action on something because you want to. Mm -hmm. But as long as you go out there, you make the choice, you go one way or the other. And if you're in action, things happen and you go along with it. Now, I did have a vision and I still do of what I want my ultimate lifestyle to be like. What kind of a life do I want? How do I want my family incorporated? So I do have an idea of where the goals are of how I want, of what I want it to look like down the road, how I get there, it slightly gets modified and I keep iterating it on the path towards getting there. Yeah, that's beautiful. There's two things that really resonated with me. First, what you just said about having the vision of the lifestyle rather than like a set goal, salary or job title. I think is really important and, and something I wanted to call out because I think if you are so fixed and, and have kind of your, your what do they call them, the blinkers on, just like the, the blindness, vision. the tunnel vision, yes, thank you, the words or won't come to me. biopic and scope. Yeah. Yes, yes. If you have that, you can't see the little inlets, the little the roads that take you or little opportunities that pop up because you're so laser focused on this one thing. But if you're focusing more on a lifestyle or the emotions you want to feel and those kinds of things, you're not too preoccupied with how you're going to get there. You just have this kind of sense of trust and surrender that you're going to get there. And you just let, it makes the process a lot more enjoyable, I feel, because it is that surrender piece. And the second thing you said that I think is really interesting is that you always have a choice whether you're in action 
or out of action. And I think it's important. A lot of people may not like hearing that it is a choice because it puts the responsibility on them at the end of the day to own if they're in a position right now where they're maybe not taking action or they are a bit complacent. But I just wanted to throw it back to you and ask, do you think that there is a necessity for no action at different moments in life? And if so, can you maybe share a moment where you've actively chosen not to take any action to prioritize something else? I definitely think, I'm thinking of a specific example, but I definitely think that there are times in life where you can choose and it's a good thing to choose not to take action. And there's a a lot of things that have come up recently in my life. I'm even just thinking about recently I was at a company called Create and Cultivate. We sold the company. Um, it was a majority acquisition to a PE firm in 2021. And, you know, originally when we were going through the transaction, we hit roadblocks. We, we stumbled along things. And we originally had a first intended acquirer and the deal fell through. And it was really hard. It was very, very hard. We were going through the transaction. It was supposed to be a 60-day close with the ability for a 45-day extension And on day 72, the potential acquirer backed out. And I felt like I had been sucker punched, right? Just punched straight into the stomach. And it was so hard because we had been doing so, so much work to make all of this happen. And I was pregnant at the time. So there was a lot that was going on. And I looked at it, Erica, and I said, I think a lot of times you have to go all the way up to the line and do what you can. And I had the ability at that time to maybe make some calls and see if there was something else I can do. And I said, you know what? I know I've pushed it to that point. Now I need to not do something. And if this is going to fall through, I need to let this one fall through. Mm -hmm. And that was a choice of mine not to take an action. And the deal did fall through and it wasn't ideal at the time, right? It was 2020 COVID. I was pregnant. We were an experiential company, but it actually worked out for the company. And it's so interesting because we hear that phrase in the end, it all works out. And what I learned you know, I, I didn't really like it when people used to say that before because I felt like it was a cop-out, right? A cop-out because sometimes people were unsure or lazy to take action. And I've realized over the years that inaction is a choice and it can be very beneficial at times. We all see these things happening, Erica, with our, when, you know, if you're planning on doing something with your friends or doing an outing and you want to jump in and say, no, no, we should do this or no, like let's, you know, in corralling a group, it can get a little bit tough, right? But if sometimes you just take a step back and you say, you know what, in this time, this situation, I'm actually not going to do something. Mm. It's amazing to see it happen. Yeah, it kind of reminds me of uh, my mom always used to tell me growing up, just count to 10 before you do anything. And it's sometimes that reflective pause, especially if you have like a gut feeling of 
something's not right or you just need a bit more time to reflect. It's actually, I think it's just the intention, right, behind the choice. So if you're not going to take any action and you think it's because I can do it better later or it's because I need more time to reflect or if you're owning that decision, then you're less likely to fall into that victim mentality of life happens to me rather than for me or, you know, rather than you having no control over the things around you. So I just really like that whole concept and thank you for sharing that story um, because I think it's important for people to own the fact that they have a choice between action and inaction. Um, and I did want to move a little bit now into the conversation of uh, hobby versus business, but we didn't actually get give you the opportunity to, I guess, explain the work you're currently doing right now. So if, if you wouldn't mind just sharing that a little bit, including the um, the teaching you do at UCLA, just so our audience gets a bit of a feel, and then I'm going to dive into the hobby versus you know, business argument or conversation. Of course, of course. So I currently run a fund, which is called New Money Ventures, and we invest in consumer product good companies predominantly, which we think are game-changing in the space. Uh, We launched the fund last year, and it has been an amazing journey so far. We've made seven investments to date, and it's been wonderful. Also, we're now, right, we have May, which is launching right around the corner. And so we've been very, very active in that as well. And then separately, I also teach um, undergraduate courses at UCLA, at Anderson, and the Price School of Entrepreneurship. Awesome. And so I'm really curious as to the university uh, program that you do teach, because I know it's specifically for women to help them refine their business acumen and knowledge. And that's kind of where this question of mine, I think it's something a lot of the audience is curious in as well. A lot of the audience listening, some of them run their own businesses and and predominantly women as well. Sorry for the men listening, but I know it's predominantly women. Um, and, And most people work for somebody else. And a lot of them have reached out to me because they do have these passions and these hobbies on the side. Now, whether they've just started to experiment in them or dabble in them or whether they're full-fledgedly, you know, embracing them. I think it's a really tough question to know in the outset, especially when you feel a bit lost, like what those passions are. So when you are teaching people who have, you know, maybe business knowledge or they're they're really good business people, but they don't know what to do, or I I think that relates really nicely to to people who are a bit unsure of what their hobbies are too. Maybe they have all these skills, but they don't really know what their passions are. I'm not sure if that's something you've come across with with your students, but it's a question I get asked a lot. People not really knowing where to start with to find their passions. So I, I wanted to just know if you had any starting advice for people trying to find their feet when it comes to what they're actually passionate about. Absolutely. I think I, you know, if I could do something differently, like if I could go back and look at even my own life. And if I could give my younger self some advice, one of the first things I would say very, very clearly is to distinguish between a hobby or a passion and a business. And if you look at what passion means, passion is something that is almost a uncontrollable desire or excitement. And my, I have a three and a half year old. And when he gets excited, he gets really excited. His whole body moves and you can just see that he is excited about whatever it is, right? 
Now that excitement, it, it occurs to me as if a lot of people want to bottle that excitement and they want to make that their every day. Now, if you were to bottle that excitement that my three and a half year old has, that's another level of excitement, I understand, <laughs> and you want to have every day, that, that might not be the ideal. The reason that life is exciting and it's fun is it's a roller coaster. We have the highs, we have the lows, but it's the lows that make the highs. And that's a part of life. And so when we have our passions, they're the things that get us so excited, right? You get excited to watch movies. Maybe you get excited to, you know, learn about different wines. You get excited to be a florist, like do great floor. There's different things that get people excited. But there's work that comes along with a business, And not all of it's going to be fun and exciting. So if I have to go back and give my old, my younger self advice, or if I'm giving advice to my students, one of the biggest things I do is I I ask them, is this something that you enjoy and that you want to do for enjoyment? Is this something you want to make money on? And I think it's very important to have that clear distinction early on. Now, down the road, could you, could the thing that you enjoy make money? Absolutely. But also, Erica, could the thing that you're making money on be something that you enjoy? Absolutely. Interesting. You can find or create the fun in it. And I just think that there's been, you know, I, I call us the the meme society, right? And so are the headline society. We read the headline of an article and then you see that all around in the media, but not everyone necessarily has read the rest of the article. And yes, there's been so many taglines about follow your passion, follow your dreams. Yes, but things still take work and you still have to put in the work behind it. And I think that that's very important. So back to your original question, right? To bring it back, it's what type of advice would I give people? It's to be very, very clear. Is this something you're doing just just for fun, which is what I think people go passion, hobby, enjoyment? Is this something you want to make money on? And I think it's very important to be clear on those distinctions of what you're looking to accomplish. And it comes back to actually what you said earlier. It's the intent behind the choice. Mm. I think that's a, a very interesting explanation because just just listening to you speak, it, it makes me think about, okay, I have a few things in my life that are, are hobbies and passions and not necessarily work. Um, if If I was thinking about, turning them into businesses or profiting off of them or, you know, trying to make them my nine to five. That's one thing. I, one thing I have to think about is, am I prepared to go through the roller coaster with that hobby or passion, or do I just want to leave it there as a bit of a hobby? Cause I think that's something that a lot of people will necessarily speak about. I think it's something everybody definitely experiences if they do go through that transition. Um, and, you know, having yeah. sort of now made the podcast a little bit more of a full-time thing and, and I also have an e-commerce business, which started off as a boot camp with my best friend. So having gone through that transition, I think it's a very, very important call out to say, 
Are you prepared to, and it's not to say you tarnish the hobby or the passion, but are you prepared to sort of drag it through the roller coaster of what the reality of having a business is? Or do you want to leave that as sort of like a sacred thing that's just for you over here? Now, there's no right or wrong. I think it's, it, yep. I think it comes back down to what you said, kind of like, what is your in, intention? Like, get clear on what it is you want. And, and over time, it may, it may morph. Um, but that's a, that's a really interesting point to think about. But if somebody listening is sort of at the point where they're thinking, okay, I do want to start monetizing this skill or this hobby that I do have, at what point do you think is the, is the tipping moment for turning it into a business? Are there sort of some telltale signs or flags that say, yep, you're kind of ready to take this to the next level? Is it more just go all in and see how it, how it works? Like what, what kind of advice do you give to your students at, at, whip, at which point does the transition sort of, or is it the right moment to make that transition if there is one? I think the, I don't think there's going to be some big moment as an aha moment of this is it, right? Um, even when you asked me the question about, um, you know, my, my career trajectory, right? When I was younger and I was looking at things that I know things were going to happen a certain way. Absolutely not. How did I go into teaching? I was in, I loved one of my classes when I was an undergrad. Um, (coughs) and I ended up being that student that was asking all the questions in the class. And then I ended up going to the office hours. I ended up getting to know a couple of the professors. And when there was an opening to teach CPA review, which is a certified public uh, accounting exam, after I graduated from college, I ended up, they asked me, Hey, would you be interested in teaching? It's really hard for us to find people who know tax very well and people who can teach in front of a group of people. And I said, all right, I'll give it a try. And that's how I fell into teaching, you know? And so is there an aha moment or some big thing that occurs? I don't think so. At what point in time do you actually think your product or service of a passion is ready to go and be sold? when you're ready to ask someone to pay you. And so if you're ready to ask people, if you have a product that you're selling, if you're ready to say, all right, I'm going to put this online and see who's going to buy it. Or if I have a service, let's say I'm doing marketing work or something to that nature, and I'm ready to offer up my services to someone else for a fee, that's when you're ready. Hmm. When you're ready to be compensated for the product or service that you want to put out there into the world and provide, that's when you need to go out there because until then it's a hobby. And I think that's a very important distinction, especially for women. Yeah, absolutely. I couldn't agree more. And, and before I kind of dive into more like the, the balance side of things, I, and, and you did mention earlier on that, you know, the startup space is, is, is hard. It's really hard to build something from zero and really get it off the ground. And so I just wanted to ask you, because there's a lot of also small business owners listening to this as well. Do you have maybe like one or two tips that you would give to any women listening who are very early on in their business journey? One that I would give women is to tune out the noise. When I was starting my own startup before, I started to listen to a lot of different people around me 
And there's so much conflicting information, conflicting things. And the thing is, is that it's not that people are wrong or they're trying to say something at you in a negative way. It's just not everybody sees your vision and not everyone's going to see your vision the way in which you see it. And it's so easy to get lost in all of the different things that you hear. And I think it's very important to tune out all of that noise and focus in on what you know, because our gut intuition that a lot of people talk about, it's, I don't think it's some magical thing. It's just a series of data points that we've essentially brought in through our past experience in life. It's all of the past things that we've done, our education, our learnings, our ups and downs, all of it. And then all of a sudden, subconsciously, we say, all right, I need to watch out for this, or this is something I need to do next. So one of the points I would give everyone is to to tune out all of the noise. The second thing is, is to have faith in yourself, to have faith in yourself that you will figure things out. That one has actually taken me, myself, a very long time to really grasp and understand. And I think a lot of the learning I've gotten from that has been from my children, my little babies, because they have faith. They have faith. They just believe without knowing that I'm going to help them or I'm going to take care of them or things are going to work out. And faith truly is taking the leap without knowing how things are going to work. And Erica, I come from a very structured, traditional background. So everything always was planned. I'm a type A. I need everything organized. Before we had our our baby even, the baby lists I had in Google Sheets of all the things we need, who are like everything was so organized for the first one year of that baby's life and what we were going to do. And the thing, Erica, once you have a kid, that all goes out the window. So I've heard. Right? You don't you don't get to decide those things and you don't get to, to be in control. And so it truly is having faith in yourself and letting go of that some of that control. Yeah. I, I love that second one, especially the second tip of having faith in yourself because it you can pull that out and look at it in life in general as well. It, it's not only applicable to business. And I suppose it brings back that, um, that age old phrase that you once hated so much that it all works out in the end. Right. (laughs) (laughs) It's, it's so, it's just so interesting. Right. (laughs) Um, but yes, you're Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Right. <laughs> if you've been thinking of starting a podcast or already have one, then this quick message is for you. I know how scary and lost it can feel navigating the podcast space, which is why She Podcast Live is the place to be and something I wish I had known about earlier in my journey. This event is the world's largest gathering of female podcasters where you can expect to learn from editors, social media marketers, authors, podcast hosts, and more during a four-day event from October 11 to 14 in Washington, D.C., 
Among all of the goodness, a personal standout for me is that they will have an entire track dedicated to self-care. Hit the link in the show notes if you're ready to take your podcasting game to the next level and you can use the code TBT for $50 off your ticket. If you're interested but not local to DC, you can stay tuned for virtual tickets by subscribing on the website. Now let's get back to the episode. No, I love that. I love that. I want to dive into something we got really deep very quickly into off air and something that's really at the heart of this podcast, and that is looking and, and talking about life balance. Now, for everybody listening, I came across Neha on Jay Shetty's podcast on purpose. He interviewed her and they had a, a really awesome chat. I think everyone should go listen to it. I'll put a link to it in the show notes below as well, just so you can get more of the wonderful woman we're listening to today. But one thing you spoke about really struck a chord with me. And that was the moment I was like, I need to, I need to reach out to this woman. Like I need to get her on the show ASAP. And you were talking about how basically the work-life balance formula is redundant in a lot of ways. And that really rings true for me uh, and why I started this podcast. So basically for anyone who's new listening, the balance series is based off the fact that the work-life balance formula. And I think whenever when we talk about life balance, everyone's like, yeah, yeah, I'm just, you know, trying to work out my work-life balance or I, I can't, I can never quite reach work-life balance. And when we talk about that formula, work-life balance. For me, two things stick out. The first is it puts you in this position where you have this pressure to make work and life 50-50, which is unrealistic. It's unrealistic at the best of times, even if you can manage your own schedule and work for yourself. It's an unrealistic metric. If you just look at the way a day often plans out, pans out nowhere near the way you pan, you know decided for it to, it's unrealistic. And the second thing for me is that Work and life are not necessarily separate for a lot of people. A lot of people that there's a hybrid in that. And so the work, uh, the balance theory is basically asks people to look at their balance in terms of, okay, I've got three key areas in my life. I've got my health, my relationships, and my category of fulfillment. And that third one, I originally, before I even launched a podcast, I had it called work and I changed it to fulfillment because I thought you have so many People are excluded if we call that work, which are like full-time parents, students, volunteers. So I think fulfillment is a much better word for it. And basically the theory goes at any given moment in your life, you need to choose how your time is spent across each of those areas. The golden rule is that you need each of those areas alive to some degree, but the weight you place on each of them is totally dependent mm-hmm. on your values and priorities at that moment in life. And I remember you sharing a story. Uh, where you were working 70 or 80 hours a week and you were loving what you were doing. And that is so, I love that so much that you're open, openly sharing that because I think often that's so demonized. That's like, well, you don't have any time for yourself or you're working quote too much. And that's a phrase I copped a lot. When I was at uni, I was studying law. I was working as a PT and I had a couple of jobs on the side. And it really like, sorry to, to use this language, but it pissed me off because I thought, well, I am so, I'm thriving right now in what I'm doing. And I came to this realization that that was my balance at that moment in life. And as life shifts and change, and as you set different goals or have a family, hit these different milestones, that is going to change. So this whole podcast is really just to inspire people to own whatever their balance looks like right now, instead of feeling guilty for it. And I know this is a lot of what you also believe. And so I'm going to hand the mic over to you, but I just wanted to preface that because a lot of what you did say on that podcast really resonated with our whole theory. 
And so I would love to know, I guess, in light of all of that, how you look at balance. And I know you view it through a lens of priorities, but just for you to share your thoughts on it as well. I mean, what you just said was absolutely perfect. You hit the nail on the head also of how I view these things. And so obviously you and I are in complete alignment on this. And it's, I, so I was actually working at the direct to consumer wine company at the time. And it was my first foray into direct to consumer businesses. And I was working there and I thought, you know, I went to business school for two years and I paid a lot of money to go there. Here I'm getting paid. And every time I raise my hand to work on something, they go, okay, give it to her, give it to her, give it to her. So the hours I started to, I mean, I was a full-time employee, but you can say clock in just for fun, right? Were very, very high. And to hit those number of hours, essentially, that means you're working six days a week. You're at the office all day. You go home, you have dinner. And then after dinner, you're working until 11, 12, 1 a.m. That's how I was doing that many hours. And at that point in time in my life, I had recently gotten married and my husband was traveling for work. He was in the thick of things with his work. He was gone. I mean, on average, he was, he was basically gone four weeks out of the month. He'd be back home on the weekends at times. And for me, it was this is the point in time in my life where I want to put all into this because this is something that I want to get really good at. And I found ways to enjoy it while I was doing it. And one of the magical things, Erica, is that's where I ended up doing, I started my W set classes, right? For wine, to really learn wine and learn it. And I became so engrossed and into that company. And it was a phenomenal experience. And I I had talked about this on the other podcast you referred to as well for On Purpose. And, you know, there's that story. I love this story. It's the, you know, the professor standing in front of the room and he has a glass and first he puts the big rocks in there and he says, can you put anything else? And everybody says, no. And then he puts pebbles in it. Can you put anything else? No. Then he puts sand and he puts water. And the concept there is, which I I strongly believe in, is you need to identify first what those big rocks are in your life. And what I love about you and your podcast that you have here and what you just talked about is that at different points in time in your life, those rocks are going to be different things. And that's okay. And that's actually amazing. When we're younger, we have different priorities. When we're in school, we have different priorities. When we get married, when we have families, there's different priorities for different stages in life. Even just different stages in your own career, it's so important to be able to identify, this is the part of my life where I need to put my head down and just work and learn these things. Or this is the time in my life where the rock is going to be that I need to network. And that's very much so my focus. And being able to identify those, and I'm a huge fan of ranking items. It's something that we would do a lot in business school in our marketing classes is you are getting a consumer to force rank between two different options. 
when you have to force rank, you can really quickly see really what are the priorities. Mm. And so you can say there's there's 10 things I'm looking at, five things I'm looking at. If I have to vertically rank them, I have to vertically rank them. Let me put them in those orders. Then you can clearly see what are the things I need to focus on. And it looked like you were going to say something. Go ahead. No, no, I'm, I'm, I'm just taking it all in because I, like you said, I think we're in complete alignment. And, and for me, the biggest standout there is the conscious intent. So it comes back to what you're saying before. It's like the decision to take action or not take action. And this whole premise is to give people the power to say, you know what? I am working 70 hours a week at the moment, but I'm three years out of my degree. I really want to do well in my career. Um, you know, before I start a family or before I start my own business or whatever your goals are. And so now's the time to do that. Now's not the time to feel guilty that you don't have time to do, you know, a one hour meditation every day. Like, yes, that's maybe something you would like to do. And maybe you can think of small ways to work up to that or see if there are ways you can change your routine to facilitate that. But it's not a time to feel guilty for things that you're not doing. It's a time to own things that you are doing. And and I think once you get your head around this concept, you can very quickly go, okay, well, the things I do feel guilty for, maybe I just don't need to do them at all. Maybe, maybe there's a, um, external noise and and it comes back to like you before as well. You're saying, shut up the noise. I think that applies for life in general. Maybe there's all this noise and pressure. It's the same with, with like your health, right? Do this diet. Don't do this diet, do this type of exercise. Don't do this type of exercise. There's so much conflicting information, I think when we tune that out and we turn into our moral compass and say exactly what you said, what are my priorities right now? How do I curate my lifestyle so that it's conducive to me working towards these goals? You can then take full ownership of your time and you can say goodbye to that guilt feeling because I'm very familiar with it and I'm familiar with you know other people having their opinions that you're working too much or not enough. And at the end of the day, if your lifestyle is reflective of where you want to go and the things you love, that's balance in my opinion. And the beautiful thing about this, and and I love that story of the professor with the rocks and the sand and the water, is because it's only natural for these things to change. But I think somehow deep down, we almost feel like those rocks should just be the same all the time. And so when we have these moments of transition or change and they feel uncomfortable, we almost just try and cling on to this older version of ourselves or ourselves yesterday that had it all worked out when we're going through a bit of a, a bit of a change. But I think when you start to embrace this, then you can revisit your priorities and go, well, no, hang on. I'm now a new mom or I'm now working in a startup. And so my priorities actually look like this, which means my big rocks or my pebbles or my sand or whatever it is now look like this. And I actually did an episode one speaking of priorities and I, um, cause I'm also a huge fan of lists, a type, very organized, that kind of thing. I haven't had kids yet. So my, uh, organization hasn't been thrown out the door just yet. I've still got a tight grip on it for now, <laughs> but essentially it asks people to identify their wants and their needs. So your wants are priorities in your week. Uh, sorry, your needs are priorities in your week that are non-negotiable. They're things you need to function and be a healthy, happy human. You need to exercise. You need to drink a certain amount of water. You need a certain amount of social interaction, whatever that looks like for you. Your wants are things that you may not need, but you really, really want to feature in your week. So maybe instead of seeing your family once a week, which could be a need, it could be seeing your parents twice a week or whatever it is. And so then when you look at your time across your week, you can fill it out firstly. And I suppose that's like your big rocks, right? Your needs. 
and then the pebbles could be your wants. And then the sand and the water can just be additional things that may just form a part of your routine or additional things you want to try that maybe not a priority, but just a curiosity of yours. So I think I think this all comes down, and I know you, I know you did uh, an Instagram post on it not too long ago. I saw it on your feed. It was really about looking at or starting with your priorities, which I think is beautiful. And I'm curious to know how you sort of came to this place or this or this viewpoint. You know, it's it's interesting, right? Because I'm trying to think to, you know, like more of if there was a certain point where I, I really narrowed it down to that. But um or was it something you in, intuitively always sort of did? Because I feel like, sorry to cut you off as well, but I just thought I would just share. Like, I feel like it was something I always intuitively uh, felt. Like, it wasn't this thing where I was like, oh, now I'm going to do this. Like, I feel like for a long time I was trying to make the work-life balance thing right and, like, fit into it, but it wasn't working out for me because I intuitively was just trying to define it on my yeah, own yeah. terms. So at what point did you sort of go, like, no, priorities first. That's where I've got to start. <laughs> It's it's interesting. When I quit banking, my mom made a comment to me. And I I left banking to start my own business, right? And she said, "Neha, there is a time in life for things." And I left banking, I started my own startup. It was an amazing experience, um, but I wish I was more clear with myself at that point in time on a passion versus a business, right? But I always look back. I remember exactly where I was standing, though, when my mom said that to me. Um, I was on a phone call with her. I remember what I was wearing, and she said, Neha, there's a time in life for, and place for things. And you have a time in your life for when you need to do things and accomplish things. And nothing happened right after that, but it was a buildup after that. And what you're talking about, it, it started to become intuitive. And I noticed that as I had more and more things coming on my plate, I had to sit there and say, and this comes back to the lifestyle, right? If I want to get to this type of a life and this is where I want my path going, how do I prioritize my items to get to that. So if you span back enough, right, 3,000 foot view, if that's actually where you're trying to go, you have to put the priorities in place essentially to make that happen. Mm -hmm. And so I don't know where it really came from, but I think part of it is, again, I'm a classically trained finance and accounting person. And so we're always looking at, right, um, you were talking about formulas. So things are always about formulas in life. And so if you want to get the desired outcome, you need to create something that's going to make sense. And if you're going to balance your day, you can't do balance literally means, right? It's equal weight if you're trying to create a balance. So if you say, I want to make a work-life balance, if you're going to say, I'm going to do eight hours of work and eight hours of life. Life. <laughs> it, that, that doesn't make sense, right? It literally just doesn't work. And so I could do eight hours of work and I might be able to go for a 20-minute walk, but that's what I needed. But I just think, again, 
And I, I think the balancing priority thing for me has even come up more in the past so many years because all I keep hearing from everybody in the media is this talk about work-life balance and it is not something that excites me. Um, I'm trying to be a bit PC here on the podcast, <laughs> but um, I just think it's a tagline that people talk about because it makes them feel good, right? Yeah. But there's no such thing. There's just life. Ask that of any mother, even if you're a stay-at-home mom, if you're if you're a corporate working mom, if you're a mom who has their own business, there's no such thing, right? And so if I'm sick, I wake up the next day, I don't get to, to take the day off, even if it's a Saturday or Sunday, if I'm not feeling well. I still have to get my kids. I still have to make their food. Right. I had the, when I had the COVID booster, I got very, I was pretty not doing so well. It didn't matter. I still had to take my son to school. I still had to move through it, whether I was wearing sweats or not or what, and rolling into the car and dropping him off. Like you still have to push through it. And so again, it's, it's understanding priorities that really makes the difference. And so Mm -hmm. You don't, when you look at life like life and you look at what you need for your fulfillment in life, whether that's enjoyment, whether that's a walk, whether that's meditating, whether that's, I don't know, maybe someone's meditating is reading a magazine, right? Picking up an old school print magazine and your brain gets a bit of reprieve. That's great. (laughs) And I think that's just what makes life fun and worth living. Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. And and what you just said, like trying to have a formula, right? And when I when when we talk about a formula, I think of also like an equation, and that's a predictable outcome. And life is anything but that. So I think if you're using anything to measure the outcome of life or balance, it's already setting you up to fail a little bit because it's just no two days are the same and it never pans out the way we want it to. So I think rather than trying to fit into this box or this formula, having the power to sort of determine what it means for you and working it out as you go on is the best approach that we can take. I think another important call out is the quality over the quantity. So if all you need is a 20 minute walk every day for your self care, you don't. So if we, if we again, look at like trying to equate everything in life, right? You wouldn't spend eight hours at the gym, even if you could. Right. (laughs) Right. Being at the gym for eight hours. And I don't think people look at it that way. You know, like if you really were trying to equal everything, you'd be like, okay, I need four hours at the gym and four hours with my friends and four hours at work. And you just wouldn't do that even if you could. So it's like, okay, it's it's not about the quantity, it's about the quality. So if health is important to you, what does that look like every day? It's not gonna be 50, 50, but one hour in the gym and nine hours at work, that might be your balance, you know what I mean? So we have to be realistic about what the quality of our time looks like. And you did bring up the whole mum thing. And I know mum guilt is something so many people get riddled with. And I think that's applicable whether you're a mum or not. It's that guilt for taking time for yourself. And so I just wanted to know, how did you get to a point where you learned and I guess could shake that unconscious bias of the mum guilt and and how that kind of impeded on your own sense of balance or self-care? Or is it something you've just had to sort of navigate and, and reframe in your mind altogether when it comes to balance? You know, here's the thing. I don't think anyone can ever shake it off. I think it's always, it's going to be there, right? And so 
at some point in time, you'll have guilt about one thing. Then you become okay with it. Then something else will come in. Then something else will come in. Honestly, it's life lifing, right? Like life just lifes. So you keep having these things that come up that you think you need to do or you don't need to do or whatever it is, right? And so the difference for me now, as opposed to before, is before it was a subconscious awareness. Now it's a conscious awareness. I'm conscious now that I'm allowing, sometimes in projects, right, we have scope creep. Here we have guilt creep, all right? So the guilt starts to creep into what you're doing. And so now I have a conscious awareness that the guilt is creeping in. And so I can tell myself, yes, should I be doing this work? But I want to play with my son. And so right now, like with my children at this moment in time, they're the rocks. They're those big rocks. Not because I have to, I want to, right? My son is three and a half. He's finally at a point where he's fun. I want to play with him, right? And so, but at the same time, I want to get a facial done later this week. And I'm going to make sure I get that in and I calendar it. And it's not about, I understand that for a second, the guilt could start to creep in. I have work to do. I have other things I need to take care of, but that is an important item for me that I want to get a facial done. And so I am going to make sure I calendar it, I do it, and I'm good with it. And it is a part yeah. of the rocks right now in my life is that self-care. Love it. And, and that just comes back down to identifying what they are to even begin with. And then just being conscious of that guilt that might creep up. And it, that could even happen when you start to take control of your own balance. So if you're listening and you feel really inspired to kind of redefine your life balance and that guilt might creep in as you start to move away from, you know, looking at work and life as 50-50 or using that formula and, and start saying, well, you know what, I'm going to actually not see my friends this week because I want to smash it out at work or because I need to cancel an event because I need to just be on my own tonight. And just making that conscious decision, it comes back to everything we said, identifying your priorities, making a decision to take action or not take action, and the intention behind that. All of those things, over time, you begin to feel really empowered standing in whatever your definition of balance is. And the more you do that, the more you become comfortable with it changing a second, the second you feel like you've gotten it all worked out, right? And when we talk about balance, it's not like this once a decade or in between your life milestones, it's this. It's every day it changes, you know, and just so having that toolkit or the skills to be able to work with life as it chops and changes, as unexpected things pop up as you're on that roller coaster, as you nicely put before, it's it's just having that power to go with the flow. And so I think if anybody listening has taken any with anything away from, you know, Neha and I's chat today, I would I would love if it was something along those lines. Cause I think, as you said, with the media blasting so much about work life balance, so many people are being led astray and being stuck in guilt and and being subconsciously unaware of those things and how it's impeding on kind of them taking their own control. Absolutely. And the thing is, you know, there's a a reel that I've been seeing a lot coming up with the audio, and it's uh, it's so beautiful. It's so much fun. It says, uh, "To what end do I do this? To enjoy it? To what end do you do this? To enjoy it? It's it's a constant moving. I don't know if you've seen it, but it's it's really fun. And the thing is, is that we have to also remember that 
we get to be here on this beautiful planet. We get to be here around such amazing other human beings. And are there trials and tribulations? Absolutely, there are. But that's what makes us the roller coaster of life. And also, one more fun thing. I don't know if you've seen, have you ever seen the movie? Um, oh, it's skipping a beat right now. Um, Inside <laughs> Out. It's a Pixar movie called Inside Out. I love that movie beyond words. <laughs> I've talked about it on so many episodes. Oh, really? It's, yes. So I've been, I've been watch, having my son watch it a lot, right? Because he's starting to learn emotions. He'll say, mommy, I'm scared. Mommy, I'm happy. Mommy, I'm sad. So I just kind of have it sometimes and repeat on the background. And what I love, 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 I love so many things about that movie. But the one thing in the end is the whole time, the one that was happy, right? The girl was trying to get sadness away. And what I love about that is in the last part of the movie, as you know, you realize it's that the sadness is a part of the story and it helps you get to the happiness. Mm. And so in life, in our roller coaster, if we were always high, it wouldn't be life. It's the downs that make the ups and it truly is everything is relative. Right. Because if we were always, if we were always up in the roller coaster, that wouldn't be up to us anymore. That would just be that we're flatlining. Yeah. And when you're flatlining in life, that just pretty much means you're dead. Right. So absolutely. You need those downs as a reference point. I've said that so many times too. And that movie is honestly for kids, it's incredible. For adults, even more powerful. Anyone who has not watched it, I would strongly recommend. But it the thing I love most about it is it really shows there's a place for emotions at the table. It's not that I think a lot of these negative emotions have been shamed and pushed into a corner where they're bad, they're bad emotions, right? But emotions are just the body's language to communicate something and they help you navigate and move through different life experiences. And so there's a role and a place for all of them. And my future children will also be watching that movie on repeat. So really good to hear that you're kind of putting that in their face too, because I think it's such a really beautiful way for for anybody really to just start personifying their emotions, understanding how they work and, and appreciating that they each have their own special role, right? 100%. I agree. <laughs> and it's those, it's the last thing I'll just say here too, to reiterate one of the things you said here is when it comes to all the different emotions, just like all these other things that we've talked about, there's some conscious awareness and then there's a conscious awareness and allowing it to be now a conscious awareness. And a lot of times that happens in conversation because when you say things out loud, it creates the space, um, almost like a clearing it's created here for these things now to come in and to be talked about and discussed. And that conscious awareness is a very, very big deal. And it has to do with the emotions, all the different emotions. It has to do with um, the guilt right? Of taking care of yourself. It has to do with at what points in time in your life do you want to rebalance your priorities, right? So that is something that is is very, very important. And I, I just love it. Beautiful. And I, I couldn't agree more. And I think that's such a beautiful place to leave our conversation, even though we could probably chat on for hours and hours. Um, if, if people listening really want to connect with you and follow along your story, where's the best place they can do so? And I'll pop some links in the show notes below. 
Absolutely. You can follow me on Instagram. It's Neha T. Kumar. Beautiful. I want to just thank you so much for um, giving your time to the, the Balance Theory, our listeners and me today. I've really, really enjoyed getting to know you, your story and downloading your thoughts on balance. I think it's a very, as we said, aligned perspective that you share with the podcast mission. So I'm very grateful for your time. Um, and it's been a, it's been a real pleasure chatting with you today. Wonderful. Thank you so much, Erica.